Hello and welcome to another Persistent and Nasty podcast. We hope you've had a great week. In today's episode, we chat to the lovely Jo Rush. Jo is the co-artistic director of Bro Fox. I love that name, Bro Fox, it's brilliant. And Jo was recently in London and I caught up with her there as we were in the bar of the Drayton Arms Theatre while Jo was on a break with her tech dress for the show Ivory Wings. So there is quite a little bit of background noise in this one, but hopefully you will be able to just focus in on what is being said and imagine that you're there having a wee cuppa with us. We were also joined by the writer and musical director of the show and the performer um, and their assistant director as well. It's another lovely episode for Persistent and Nasty. As always, you can follow us on all forms of social media, Facebook, Persistent and Nasty, Twitter, at Persistent Nasty, Instagram, at Persistent and Nasty. And we love hearing your feedback, so please keep it coming. Remember to like and subscribe and leave us a review on whichever form of podcast listening source you use. Um, It really does make all the difference to us all. So sit back, relax, enjoy, get yourself a wee cuppa and here we go. Hello and welcome to another Persistent and Nasty podcast. Today I am joined by Susie Corrath and Anna Corrad. And Laura Clifford. And Joe Rush. <laughs> and you are all together because? Because we are doing a play called Ivory Wings and we're putting it on at the Drayton Arms Theatre tonight. Great. Do you want to give me a little bit of background about your play? Yes, so Ivory Wings is about a female Spitfire pilot um, and it's about the ATA, the Air Transport Auxiliary, who are the extraordinary women who flew all the the war aircraft to and from the factory bases in World War II. They were essentially essential to the war effort um, and no one knows about them, so we wanted to to bring them into public consciousness, essentially. Um, they were extraordinary people. But it's also about Alzheimer's and dementia, and so this character looks back at her time flying these Spitfires through the fog of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So we see her both in her elderly state and in her youthful youthful age. Um, yeah. Oh, is there a reason that you picked that as your kind of arc, having her with dementia, Alzheimer's? Well, my sister Anna and I um, had two grandparents with Alzheimer's, so we had experience of it. Yeah. Um, and I was actually looking at music and thinking about music and how wonderful music can be for memory, just generally. You know, you hear a piece of music and a, a certain image comes to your head of, say, the place you saw, you, you first heard it or something. Um, and that made me think about Alzheimer's and, and music and how. How it's it's well, well known now that music can really really help mm-hmm. people who have it. Um, so we really wanted to put that into into the play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's got music in it, Anna. Yes, so you, yeah. Uh, so the way I chose the pieces, we were kind of thinking more in terms of what the character might have known and might have loved and sort of remembered at the time. Um, and it sort of referenced throughout the play, it references her 
actual memories and the, the whole point is that it sort of sparks the memories so we thought they should be pieces that obviously A fitted in with what genuinely would have been around at the time um, and what her particular character might have been interested in and her sort of things that would make her feel comfortable or uncomfortable um, and such and I've also done a couple of compositions as well just mm. to bring it Back. Yeah, there's a really beautiful piece that Anna has composed uh, that is like the theme of the piece that is, we imagine, uh, a piece of music composed by the late husband of the main character and therefore quite emotionally triggering for her and really significant. Um, and so it's worth saying that Anna performs all of that music live. Um, so she sits on the stage with her piano while Susie's performing it. Um, and so therefore there is also the relationship between what live music does to you in a way that is different actually mm-hmm. in, in the same way that we always talk about how live performance affects you differently than say a film and things like that so it's really engaging with that and it's, yeah, it's really fascinating especially when you do look at the research of like particularly muscle memory of people that have played instruments and maybe have Alzheimer's or dementia and actually can still sit down at a piano and play something mm-hmm. from memory because it doesn't go from the yeah. body um, which is something that was like a personal connection for me from my granddad having dementia and the piano that they had in his nursing home being really significant in still feeling like he was there yeah. and that for me is what is one of the most important things about the play is that for the main character Virginia she is really struggling to remember who she was this really pivotal stage in her life when she kind of stepped up and was this amazing brave woman compared to who she is now when we see her in the present as really suffering with her Alzheimer's and that reclaiming of her identity and choosing how to see herself and not having lost that even if to the outside world she seems to have lost that but it all still being there within her is what's really I think powerful and important about telling the story in the way that uh, Susie's chosen to write it and what inspired her to be a Spitfire pilot (laughs) well I um, love flying myself (laughs) and I've always been amazed by female pilots and and stories of these incredible women who did extraordinary things I mean so and then I read a lot about the ATA the air transport auxiliary and there are 168 women it's worth I mean it's worth saying that there were men as well but yeah um, but they get they get lots of attention they get lots of attention so we are sticking to the 168 women and they were the very first women to get equal pay 1943 A woman called Pauline well done, stepped up and was like, no, you're going to give us yeah. equal pay. Because they were doing job. the exact same job mm-hmm. and still, and such a dangerous job. Because when you recently in the play hear about some of the stories of these planes that were like falling apart in the air as they're desperately trying to make the last flight home. And they were doing the exact same thing as the blokes flying the planes and getting paid less. You do just go... So, yeah. yeah, right on, ladies. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Go Pauline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that was what inspired it to be yes. like that. So I just, I, I, having read about these women, I was like, I have to do a play about yeah. them. And it's just connected so well with, with the Alzheimer's and the memories and things. And yeah, so yeah, had to I be mean, done. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, because it is one of those stories, isn't it, that doesn't necessarily get told. We get to hear lots about all the men during exactly. both wars um, exactly. and the women's side of it, whether that yeah. be 
staying at home and running households and farms and mm. companies yeah. or being in the air. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of they get it's ignored. Something that's always fascinated me is that liberating aspect of war from a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. Like both in the sense that, you know, World War One is one of the major triggers and causes of how the suffragettes were actually finally able to gain yep. the vote for women. Yep. Not all women immediately, etc. Nope. But um, that being a really big trigger, and then World War Two, you have all these like land girls and wrens and the women of the ATA, and this really empowering time when they were actually forced to step out of the boxes they'd been put into and take on these really unusual roles of like getting to be drivers and factory workers and all these things that were. Like they were prevented from doing mm-hmm. before that, and I, I'm always fascinated by what's it like to have to then step back from that because all the blokes come back, and the sense of we've got to give jobs back to our boys and all of that pressure, and like how weird that must be as a feeling to be told to go back in your box, yeah, after the war effort is over and you've done your bit and you've contributed and you've released this new sense of self, and then you're just like, Yeah, now you go and be a wife, yeah. And a mum, and etc. Yeah. So it's always a t- period of history that really fascinates me. Yeah. And was it important for you guys um, creating the show to have an all-female team? Yes, it was. I, I mean, naturally, it was. I love how two. Susie. You guys can't see it, but she was so straight to the point there. And yeah. you're like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we, you know, we are women. It's about these amazing women. Um, we originally did it for the Edinburgh Fringe, and mm-hmm. so we knew we wanted a very small team anyway. Um, and we were looking for a director, and we I don't think we specified that we wanted a woman, but it was it very much it, mm-hmm. in our in our consciousness that when yeah. Joe came on board, we were like, yes, this is this is right. Great. Um, is there anything that you could, like, if you were to sum it up in a couple of lines, because um, I realise that you guys have got to get back to rehearsals, could you sum it up in a couple of lines of what people can expect from this show? You can expect to laugh and cry. Great. Um, you will learn something, some fascinating pieces of history, and you will hopefully learn a bit about old age and music and how music therapy music therapy yeah. how is it working with your sister yeah well i have a, i have a sister so i was yeah. like oh okay it's yeah like, it's a fabulous and interesting dynamic yeah no, I mean, it's, it is totally fine because susie knows exactly how i play and what i like to play and I know exactly how she likes to, well, I know how she likes to write and what her interests are as well. So it was quite easy to sort of, I helped her sort of slightly edit the script the and stuff. And I was script, like, okay, yeah. I know you'd like to do that, but I think of this. And then she would be like, I know you like these sort of pieces, so maybe we can incorporate it. So it all sort of, it was just like um, cut off that whole sort of getting to know you thing as well. Mm-hmm. And then we were just like, okay, let's just do it. And, and also we live together, so wow, okay. which makes rehearsals a lot yeah. easier. Well, that is true. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That is, that is yeah. that's okay. useful for rehearsals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, necessity, but... And are you hoping to get a further tour for the show? We would really like to, yes. Yeah. We're talking to a couple of more like niche venues like war museums and RFU oh, museums brilliant. and things because I think connecting it with the actual sort of physical history mm-hmm. of there are these planes and whatnot 
would be just a really exciting thing and it also takes the content to people that have already got a natural vested interest in it if they're showing up at those sorts of places mm. they'll definitely be interested in what we're yeah. doing um, and I think it's it's a show that's really suited to touring anywhere and everywhere mm-hmm. it's very small scale and lo-fi yeah. so actually if we can have a chair and a piano we could do it most places yeah. she says ambitiously <laughs> Well, yeah, you can, because we're women and we can do, we can make it happen. Um, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you so much. And I'm going to keep chatting to Jo, um, if that's okay. I'll keep her just, I won't keep her too long. Just for me. Yeah. Um, Have a great show tonight, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with us. We've sold out, so we're very excited. Sold out? Sold out tonight and tomorrow night. So, still tickets available for Thursday. We will get on the Twitter. Amazing. We'll get on the Twitter, the Instagram, all, all, all of that. Thank you so much. Thanks. Nice to meet you guys. Bye. So the girls have just headed up the stairs to the rehearsal. So, um, guys, if you do hear a wee bit of background noise, we are in the pub of the Drayton Arms Theatre, um, just chatting away while the girls are doing rehearsals. And we're just going to ask Joe a few more questions. Um, First of all, so you, did they put the call out for a director for the job? Yeah, so Susie actually advertised through the Theatre Directors Scotland group, which... um, Hopefully people will be growing in their awareness of it, but it's basically a, a network of directors headed up by Colburn Sigfusdotter um, and a team of amazing volunteers who essentially wanted to advocate for directors working in Scotland. And um, so Susie just advertised on that, saying that amazing. she essentially booked the slot at the Fringe Festival, got all that stuff sorted, and just really needed a director that could rehearse with her in Edinburgh. And for me, I was like, well... I would quite like to do a fringe show and it's local. <laughs> I could probably manage it. Um, and then when I read the script, I was just really, I think I was really surprised because I didn't necessarily connect to what she'd said the show was about. But when I was reading it, I actually found so many personal connections mm-hmm. with it in terms of like my family's sort of historic involvement with aircraft and the RAF okay. and radar, which my granddad on one side was involved in creating during the war um wow and um and then also my my other granddad's experience of dementia mm. so sort of two ends of the scale yeah. um and how that was such a strange experience to go through where you you lose somebody mm-hmm. actually years before they die yeah. and uh yeah and then actually it being a powerfully feminist story this amazingly empowered woman who went out and did something mm-hmm. at a time when she wasn't expected to and mm-hmm. got herself trained as a pilot for the love of it, not yeah. for anybody else's benefit, and then actually was able to serve her country in this amazing way. Uh, and it's beautifully put together as a play, and it's got this amazing sort of pivotal scene in the centre of the play, which is essentially the most like squeaky bomb thing you've ever seen of her trying to land an aircraft that is falling apart in the sky, and she's in like cloud cover, and these women weren't taught to read the instruments of their planes. Like, normal pilots trained to read yeah. the instruments, but they decided that the women, because they were only meant to be like ferrying them back and forth, they were like, well, if there's cloud cover, you just won't go up and we'll make sure that you can't use the instruments so you don't fly too high. So literally, like, pinioning these women in such a sort of symbolic and literal mm-hmm. way. Um, so they weren't trained on the instruments, which means that if they're up in the air and then the clouds hit, 
you've got very little you can do about that except hope for the best. And they were told they were meant to like bail out, but that's just not practical. Yeah. So, so yeah, this amazing central scene is Virginia's character essentially figuring out what the hell to do when she's stranded in clouds, she can't find her bearings, she doesn't necessarily even know what's below her if she was to bail out. And, and and her plane is on takes fire. And, oh my! Like uh, has anti-aircraft missiles, uh, missiles, uh, uh, guns firing at it, and barrage balloons, and all the sort of all the worst things that could happen to her yeah. happening. And it's all drawn from real experiences that was, you know when Susie read up on these Spitfire girls, they genuinely talked about this stuff happening to them and somehow wow. surviving. And not everyone did. Like mm-hmm. people <laughs> did not have that much luck every single time. Mm-hmm. And they were were a lot of deaths that could have been avoided if they just taught them to fly properly. And it, towards the end of the war, they did start yeah. giving that training as well. But it was such strange thinking about how to manage these female pilots that I think people just were so unaware of how to deal with in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember where I started. No, but I know someone's got a coffee machine going and it's, yeah. It's strange thinking that people really lived those experiences. Yeah. I think what you said just really struck me about the, you know, them literally keeping them in their place, in their place, even Don't while they're, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, you can come and help us, but just remember yeah. who, yeah, and the same with the equal pay as we talked about, yeah. the fact that they weren't given equal pay even though they were doing the exact same job yeah. for quite a while until they campaigned for it. I mean, it's just mad. Yeah. I mean, good on that, good on those ladies, though, because, yeah. you know... It was like Pauline Gower, she established a specific women's branch of the ATA and campaigned for equal pay, campaigned for better training, and she was one of the first eight women that flew as wow. ATA pilots, so she was a real trailblazer. Yeah. I highly recommend just, like, digging her up. Absolutely. Her I mean, up. I'm literally going there's home so to, like, There's so many great books about this. Like, I think there's, like, Hurricane Girls and Spitfire Girls, yes. those sorts yeah. of titles yeah. are worth looking out, because they're... Yeah, pretty Yeah, pretty and I'm sure it was, it, was it the Channel 4 BBC, they did a documentary, BBC, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, documentary, yeah. yeah. Um, so when you're looking for work, though, do you like to try and, like, um, pick something that's female-led, female-based, or is it just the story for you? I think I've reached a point where it would be weird if there wasn't something about my own point of view that chimed with the work mm-hmm. I was doing. Um, it... Even, I mean, having worked on, like, some sort of classics. So, for instance, like, I assisted Joe Douglas on Death of a Salesman. And Mm -hmm. I was literally there because he was aware that there was a very male influence and voice that was so strong in that play that he actually said, I need a female voice in the room to make sure it doesn't just become like Pick a up you, Joel. You, yeah, you, you ally. ally. We love mm-hmm. him. Um, and, yeah, it definitely wouldn't feel right if I was to work on something that was not aware of what voices were at play, what voices have power, mm-hmm. um, and why. Because I just think self-awareness is now like a huge part of yeah. not just how I operate as a person, but actually as someone making work. And it... Yeah, I, I will sit and I'll read a play and I'll go, yes, this is great, but actually I'm not the right person mm-hmm. to tell this story. That's generally something I try and always keep myself checking. Yeah. Is, I, even just like in, in awareness of my own privilege as well, as opposed to being awareness aware of myself as a woman, like I don't want to exercise my privilege and abuse my power yeah. 
and so there's been plays that I've read where actually if they come from a really strong specific background that is not my background Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel right for me to jump in and like appropriate that and pretend I know all about that and and direct that work so try and keep an awareness of that yeah I hope I'm staying on the right side of things yeah no definitely I think that's so um, important it's something that like we talk about a lot at Persistent and Nasty you know that like yeah we've set all this up and everything but we are also aware of our own privilege you know we're three we're now three white um, actresses in Scotland who have who are making this happen but we're we don't want we just want to kind of open the door and then get out of the way Mm, yeah and that's really like one of the best things that we can hope for is to actually whatever path you're choosing to follow make sure you're not slamming the door behind you exactly because it's a really difficult thing to remember though I also just find that in, in choosing my work, I just don't waste my time on stuff anymore if I'm not mm-hmm. into it because I've got two kids that are four and under and I, I don't have spare time. Yeah. So I'm not taking any old job. Yeah. Sometimes it is a bit of like, oh, will this pay the bills? Yes. That mm-hmm. comes into it. But if <laughs> of course I'm not going to want to be there, yeah. I'd much rather be with my kids, yeah. to be honest. So yeah. that's a big help to you. Yeah. Really well, yeah, absolutely. And how do you find the work, kind of work mum balance? Oh, I mean, ask me in 10 years, okay. I'll let you know, but okay. it's, um, I love working and I love being with my kids and I love when the two of those clash mm-hmm. and being able to bring them into rehearsals yeah. and stuff is amazing. My little girl, Nora, absolutely loves coming to work with me and um, I was just recently working with Terra Incognita on their show, My Friend Selma, which was going out to tour to young people festivals again. And um, so I took her in for a day, and oh. it was it was great actually because like attention span isn't the best, but she managed, and actually it's really vital for me to have her see me at work mm-hmm. because otherwise, I mean, it got to a stage where I'd had a few months between jobs, and she was play acting at home, and she was like, "Mummy, I go to school, and you go home and cook the dinner, and then hit me up." And I, I, my blood boiled. Yeah. Uh, because my partner has got a full-time yep. nine-to-five type of a job. And I just was like, if she doesn't see me working, mm-hmm. then I won't feel right in myself. Because yeah. it's like she doesn't know me, mm-hmm. I think, more than it is about like forcing a, a perspective on what women in general are doing. It's more about I feel she doesn't know who I am as yeah. an individual if she doesn't see like mummy goes to work as well. Yeah. And that mummy's work is fulfilling and exciting yeah. to me and yeah. that sort of thing. So yeah, I try and bring them in as much as possible. Yeah. I also think that it's like something I've always thought is the best way to avoid the theatre curse that if you if you separate your work and your life too much then I think you drive a wedge mm-hmm. uh, so I generally have always brought my partner into the room Great. if I can because I'd like him to know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and we've ended up creating a show together as a result which is uh, a hilarious collaboration <laughs> of our two worlds completely colliding where his work in research and engineering has now led to a play that we've kind of commissioned a writer to make oh, about engineering and about fire and about 
humans and how we blame stuff on one hot button thing rather than mm-hmm. actually address huge systemic problems yeah. because it's so much easier just to say oh it was that one thing and yeah. we'll just ignore all, all the others. other things absolutely yeah uh, so yeah bringing bringing everything together is, is I, set, I guess how the balance is working out for yeah. me but it's a lot it's a lot and I feel exhausted most of the time yeah. and I get frustrated when people don't get that I only have one day of childcare most weeks in yeah. which to do all of the things yeah so I'm always like yeah I can maybe answer an email if I'm lucky and I just end up <laughs> apologising endlessly for emails being a week later than I would have ideally sent them if I had some work time every yeah. day which yeah. realistically I don't yeah. because little people yeah and need a lot of attention yeah they do need a lot of attention but they're very you, cute so and I they, tend to give it to them yeah. rather than my emails if well, my emails were cuter maybe I would give it more attention it's maybe something that Google mm. needs to think about yeah make your make your emails good so that's a public service notice if you want my attention by <laughs> email just pop a cute gif in it there Kittens, we go otters otters mm, otters are, uh, sloths really. are quite good as well I've never got the sloth trend I'm quite, much more of an otter person I do like I mean, I, I mean I, I'm a I'm an animal fan any, any, any cute animal really, really would do any cute yeah. exactly exactly um, I'm going to ask you really quickly yeah, sure um, Joel just because I'm so aware of your time um, so as we are called persistent and nasty we ask everybody what does it mean to them to be persistent and nasty <laughs> persistent is a word that I love I actually have my notebook that I've got upstairs is a picture of Rosie the Riveter saying yeah. nevertheless she persisted yes. on the front cover so yes. I was like I should have shown that to you yeah. start off with um, and I've always loved that as an image. And um, persistent to me is the tenacity to cling on, sometimes in the face of the odds and what your gut is telling you, because sometimes your gut is wrong. And actually clinging on and sticking something out, if, if in the past you've known how much it means to you, is really important and I think that's definitely the like hallmark of my career so far is just doggedly clinging on clinging in there and keeping going even when actually even just down to like having kids and stuff I was just like I know I want that I will do that and the rest will work itself out and not letting things dictate oh no you can't make that choice because it wouldn't be sensible at this point and blah 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 yeah um I don't know what being nasty means to me because I like to think I'm quite nice but in terms of being nasty like not apologising for existing yeah. is vital yeah. and actually I do think that the, the older I get the more I parent I'm much more confident in this is who I am as a person yeah. uh, and I quite like that about mm-hmm. it it's one of the things I think is a real gift of becoming a mum is that I was already quite confident. Yeah. She said. Some, somewhat embarrassed. Uh, no, don't be but, embarrassed about it. Embrace it. But yeah, it had always felt a bit more like I was faking it till I made it with my confidence mm-hmm. before. And now that I've got kids, I keep them alive and grew them in my body. Yeah. And with one of them, you know, pushed them out. Didn't with a second, but that's another story. <laughs> um, I'm pretty pretty confident that I actually deserve to take up space yes. now yeah. uh, and if I catch myself not thinking that I know that that's a lie that's convenient for the patriarchy rather than being truth 
great. So, yeah, there you that's go. That's nasty. my deep, nasty answer. I love it. I also taught my daughters to say smash the patriarchy, and honestly, it's one of my proudest moments in my life. I mean... And she can't pronounce it, admittedly, so it's more like, smash the patriarchy. But it's very, but very cute. she knows that she knows. Yeah. I oh, said, I love Nora, it. if anyone says that boys are better than girls or girls are better than boys, what do we say? And she goes, smash the patriarchy. I, I mean, yes, please do. <laughs> I that's, I mean, that's probably going to, I'm going to make that my ringtone if I can. Absolutely. Find the power. Yeah. Um, Joe, thank you so much. Is You're there welcome. anything that you would love to add to our little chat? Um, well, <laughs> I want to give credit as ever to the woman who is my work wife which is the amazing Amy McKenzie because I don't think I have a lot of this confidence and persistence yeah. and nastiness without her. Um, and I know she's been a fan of the podcast for a while. And oh. Amy, come and chat to us. Yeah, she's, um, she's brilliant and she's also a director and actually we are trying to smash the patriarchy by working together as two directors, yes. which is so not the way that the hierarchy mm-hmm. of the patriarchy wants us to do mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, do you know what? We don't care. We're going to do it. And people really don't get that. But we do. And it is really a a really fulfilling actual work relationship to have. Great. So, yeah. How nice is that? And also, as previously mentioned, Joe Douglas, because he is an amazing ally. He is a a great ally. It's basically, like, allowed me to continue to work while having had two small children. Yeah. by always being there mm-hmm. actually yeah. it comes down to it and that's just one of the best things that you can be to each other yeah be there support each other yeah. whether Show we're up. male female non-binary whatever <laughs> yeah cling on exactly we just have to um, Joe, thank you so much for your time have a great yeah. run of this really exciting show I really um, I'm just going to go and suck up all the information that I can find <laughs> and until next time guys stay nasty